0: This is the in Focus Podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus Podcast with me, Amit Barua, your host for this episode. Kashmiri Pandits, many of whom were given government jobs and brought to the valley a decade ago, have started to flee following targeted killings of their colleagues by terrorists. Not just Kashmiri Pandits, but other Hindus have also been killed. As are Muslims. In August 2019, when Article 370 was reduced to a shell and the state of Jammu and Kashmir whittled down to a Union territory, the central government promised to turn it into the most developed state in the country within five years. Long a part of the BJP's ideological agenda, Home Minister Amit Shah said on the floor of parliament at the time that Article 370 was the biggest hurdle in the path of normalcy in Kashmir. Where do things stand now as minorities flee and terrorist killings continue? To discuss these issues, I have with me Kapil Ka, retired Air Vice Marshal, who has a keen interest in Kashmir affairs. Welcome to the In Focus podcast, Kapilji.
1: Thank you, Amit Sab. Such a pleasure being with you on this program.
0: Kapilji, my first question: How did this thing come to such a pass that the Kashmiri's pundits and other minorities are now once again under attack after all that we saw uh, in December 89 and 90 and during the course of the 90s and the decades?
1: Uh, Well, it's not rocket science to figure out that when new policies are initiated, these have to be thought through in terms of consequential impact. I heard you Make a comment about uh, Union Home Minister's promises in Parliament that Article 370 was coming in the way of uh, development of the state, and you also said I couldn't agree with you more. The removal of this article has been a, a sort of an ideological compulsion from uh, virtually the 50s in the ruling dispensation, and it's very many altars uh, which it evolved from. 1950s onwards so why are the kashmiri pundit employees leaving i'm glad you also said Amitav, that it is not just kashmiri pundits there are also nearly 20 percent of uh, the dalits who are employed from the last decade or more in the kashmir valley in the state uh, also a uh, large number of the non-local labor uh, which is from Jharkhand, Yupi, Bihar. Uh, for example, all the masons in Kashmir are from Yupi and Bihar. All the plumbers are from Orissa, like the rest of India. So there is actually about three and a half lakh population, almost equivalent to the numbers of Kashmiri pundits in 1990 before they left, which is non-Kashmiri but present in the valley. So that is the first point. So I also want to mention, and this is a plus point, that the original approximately 3,000 all Kashmiri Pandits who never m- migrated out of the valley are still there. So are about, probably about 10 to 15,000 people who are in the universities, who are in the colleges, business establishments, banks. They are integrated with the society. But they have not been targeted. So uh, this is one point which I thought I would mention. But uh, why they are leaving is out of a all-pervasive sense of fear. Uh, because uh, these are targeted killings, uh, a belated approach to the results or uh, responses or resonances of the valley with the support of uh, people across the line of control and border a country you well know, you've been there as a correspondent for many, many years. You also have been uh, reporting the Kashmir stories from, I think, if I'm not mistaken, five or six years. So you know Kashmir very well. So this is actually a belated consequential impact of the assaults that have been made on the Kashmiris by the central government and the state government whether these are socio-political, whether they are administrative, or they are constitutional, like nullification of Article 370, then the subsequent attempts at denial of jobs and uh, land, which is theirs under this special status, there is nothing more special to the Kashmiri psyche, and this includes all uh, Kashmiris, uh, than the fact of the realization of a special identity, a bond with the land, a bond with the land which provides jobs and with the government which serves that purpose, along with the economic entities like the business sector and other ones. Now, this has created an overwhelming sense of fear. Uh, no Kashmiri is secure, doesn't feel secure. This is the result. I'm not giving my value judgment. My analysis, but I'm giving the opinion of the Kashmiris from ground zero, which I have evolved uh, through connections with Kashmir, not just uh, after I retired, but on the track to civil society initiatives, uh, which has kept me very closely linked with uh, the state, particularly the valley, for almost two decades since I retired from the airport.
0: Kapilji, you make a very important uh, distinction between the Kashmiri Pandits who have been there uh, post the violence of 89, 90 and those employees and other minorities, including Hindus who have been there now. But do you see any parallel between the targeted killings that are continuing since almost in 2020, though they have been in 21 and 22 as well, and what the Pandit community had to face in 89 and 90?
1: Well, uh, at at a superficial level, yes. Uh, but I don't think a comparative uh, uh, evaluation uh, would be in order. Because that was also targeted killings, without doubt. That is part of Pakistani actions in Kashmir, which are low cost in nature and high return. It's been a policy of the Deep state and establishment in Pakistan to keep Kashmir on the boil because it helps it keep it as a conflict zone in international mindscape. And therefore, the references by various human rights entities about what the center of the state is doing in Kashmir and uh, uh, linked to that is is the fact. And I think this is, this is very, very important to understand uh, the situation now that this is, as I said earlier, may seem to be repeating, whenever a state initiates a policy which the people of the entity or the state see it as anti-it, it it has to react. The Indian state expected that the reaction to Article 370 nullification would be stone throwers on the streets, would be public protests, but despite the double lockdown from 2019 to 2021, during which period, uh, there was relative calm. In fact, even the figures of killings reduced so much because everybody was locked up at home. But the response had to be found by the people who felt they were being assaulted or they were being oppressed. And the way they found was not bloodshed through street violence or stone throwing, but what is now termed Uh, by the strategic and security planners as grey zone work That you uh, the people are not recognisable. They are overground workers. They could be office workers. They could be academia. They could be from the government. Cannot rule out in a conflict situation. Because if every Kashmiri feels oppressed from 2019, which is borne out by my own personal and our group analysis in the valley over the last Six years or more, then it will find ways to find vulnerabilities of the state. And the vulnerabilities of the state are the elements who are innocent, who are sequestered, who are in the schools, who are in colleges, who are sub So they are not protected. So target them. And it's a low cost soft option. And the instrument of choice for that in terms of the weapon is the pistol. No more the era of AK-47s in Iran. It's an era where the adversaries of the state employ the pistols, and these pistols are either infiltrated across the line of control, but as you've also noticed uh, as a senior journalist, there have been many number of cases where unmanned aerial vehicles and drones have been used to drop these pistols at selected places through a pre-planned kind of conspiracy between elements within India and elements across the border. From 2003 when Nadi murder took place to 2021 when Bindru, the medical shop owner, was killed, for 18 years no Kashmiri Pandit was harmed. This is a question that you and I, as thinking analysts, have to ask ourselves. How is it that for 18 years no Kashmiri Pandit was harmed And in the last year or so, almost a dozen of them have been targeted. Why is it so? The answer I have already provided you in response to your query is a delayed consequential response to whatever the state in India has done to the Kashmiris over the last three years.
0: Kapilji, you know, coming to, uh, you make an important point about the, you know, the pistol as opposed to the AK-47 or, uh, you know, other weapons that are being used currently. We also hear in the news almost on a daily basis that there's an encounter here and an encounter there and uh, the security forces have neutralized a large number of terrorists. Uh, One of the things that we were promised, uh, you know, uh, post-August 2019 was that, uh, you know, funding for terrorists would go and terrorism in a sense would end and there would be peace and jobs for the Kashmiri youth and that the central government would embrace the Kashmiri youth in a bid to do that. So this new strategy, is this a homegrown uh, Kashmiri, um, are these homegrown Kashmiri elements or do they have support uh, from uh, Pakistan and its intelligence agencies How do you see the security situation?
1: You know, first, let me answer, snap away the question that you just raised. Statistics provided by the JNK police and the Ministry of Home Affairs in recent weeks and months provide ample evidence that bulk of the so-called terrorists, I call them militants, terrorists I call people who come from Pakistan, people who are local, are alienated, hatred-filled, angry, full of angst, because what they see as having been very unfair treatment of their that they have gone through. Now, bulk of the people are local, whether it's 75% or 85% is a marginal, but bulk of them are local. So this represents our own people's problem. So our own people's problem has been created by policies which have been launched against our own people. Because in my to my mind, and uh, you are more than an expert on international affairs. When we look at history of the world, uh, whenever actions are taken against people which are undemoc, which they see as undemocratic, uh, which they see as unconstitutional, then uh, obviously there will be reaction, and the reaction explains why bulk of the militants, terrorists that, that have been killed or that have been arrested by the JNK police and the CRPF in recent months and years are to speak. So we have to ask ourselves, have we employed a policy which is people-friendly? No action can be taken to change uh, the character of a state without cons- consultation with the elected members of the assembly of the state. No action can be initiated on the basis of the government being the representative of the central government. The government is the representative of the people elected through the assembly who then form the government. Now, no such consultation, on it has been, has taken place. But we are a, it's a, but it's a fate to
0: comply, isn't it, Professor?
1: It is fate to comply, comply for, for bulk of India. The bulk of India has lost interest in Kashmir because of what they have been fed on through ideological narratives that every Kashmiri is a terrorist, that every Kashmiri is a jihadi, every Kashmiri is anti-India. Yet, I think I don't have to tell you that there are battalions in the Air Force which are all Kashmiri Muslims. There are large number of Kashmiri Muslims who are in the PSF in the CRPO, in the JNK police and other police agencies in India. So I think fair to comply, maybe as a case of realism, but people who are driven by emotion, psychology, who believe in their destiny, who have a sense of identity, which the Kashmiris have shown over the years, who also know that they acceded to India on the basis of a document called Article 370, Incorporation of the Constitution, in the Constitution of India, flowing from the instrument of accession. We, I, I can need hardly remind you, Amit, that please read Article 1 of the Constitution. India, that is Bharat, is composed of A, B, C, D, names all the states, and it says Jammu and Kashmir, brackets, subject to Article 370. This is Article 1 of the Constitution. May I also remind you that Article 3 doesn't permit the Parliament to reduce a state to a union territory. It can alter a state into two states, but it cannot reduce a state to two or three union territories which has been done. Of course, the issues is before this Honorable Supreme Court uh, unfortunately, people are also in Kashmir as they express themselves in person to person conversations with people like you and me who talk with them with sympathy, sensitivity and understanding. They, they, they have, they are now losing faith even in the judiciary because they feel that this is an issue which should have been long decided and they would respect that. If the Honorable Supreme Court was to decide hypothetically tomorrow, that what was done on 5th of August was constitutionally valid, Kashmiris would respect it. Just like the rest of the minorities in India respected the Supreme Court judgment on the Ram Janambubi issue which has hung on for decades. So this is what I am trying to say. We cannot go by statements which are made in, in the House which are not truthful. Because Article 370 did not come in the nature of development, Regrettably to uh, people who are naysayers on Kashmir, Kashmir is one of the advanced states of Jammu and Kashmir. I don't uh, of, of India. I don't have the statistics to give you. And uh, whether it is infant mortality rate, its maternal mortality rate, under five mortality rate, whether it is hunger index, all these Kashmir is one of the better states of India. So, therefore, how can we make a statement in Parliament 370 is coming in the nature of the development? Then we need to identify what is coming in the way of development on Bihar and UP, which are bottom down in the list which I just described.
0: Kapilji, uh, you know, we have a situation where a delimitation process has been completed and it looks uh, that eventually there will be elections uh, to what is currently the union territory of uh, Jammu and Kashmir. But we also saw after, um, you know, abrogation of 370 and 35A that, uh, you know, all the nationalist Kashmiri politicians uh, from the National Conference, from the PDP and other associated parties, many of them were uh, kept behind bars for many, many months. And at least, uh, you know, three former chief ministers were also incarcerated, whether it was under house arrest or elsewhere. So, what happens now? I mean, is there any space for these politicians uh, you know who have uh, you know shown their allegiance to the Constitution of India? Is there any space for them to operate, or would there be a new rump uh, that is created uh, to ensure that uh, the center state uh, writ continues to run in uh, the union territory of Jammu and Kashmir?
1: Well, uh, this is a very deeply political question, and I think the best way to respond to you is firstly to remind uh, your listeners that the exercise of delimitation uh, has been authorized under the GNK Reorganization Act, under which all those provisions of nullification of 370-35A and bifurcation of the state into two territories took place. Actual fact is that the JNK Assembly in 2001 has passed the resolution which was passed by two-thirds of majority that the delimitation will be done in 2026 like the rest of India. This was upheld by the JNK Court. So, therefore, Kashmiris see the delimitation exercise as a fraud. They believe that this is nothing more than a political instrument to delay elections because obviously uh, the delimitation. Commission would take a year or more uh, to deliberate and finally they have they are given their verdict. Uh, they have seemingly accommodated uh, the viewpoints of uh, the political leadership in Jabun Kashmir but actual fact that has not happened. They completely disregarded whatever were the recommendations made by the People's Alliance for Book Declaration, EAGD, which as you know is a constituent of Uh, the National Conference, the People's Democratic Party, uh, and the CPIM, and the Awami National Conference, these are the four elements there. So, I think elections, to me, do not seem to be likely. The centre, depending on what will be the dividend of that elections, uh, will make its choice, because at the moment, as per the Chief Election Commissioner himself, After the submission of the delimitation commission, uh, the election commission would take three to four months to revise the electoral rolls, which is a prerequisite before you hold elections to an assembly. So that takes us to approximately October-November, and that's the time the winter starts. So we had also promises of the central leadership on the floor of the parliament that state will be restored at an appropriate time. Now, none of this goes past the heads of an average Kashmiri, and who more than anyone else, uh, are virtually an honorary Kashmiri, having been there for six long years, uh, is very politically savvy. Nothing misses his or her eye or ear, which happens in a normal 24 by 7 news cycle. So it's not that they don't know what is happening in the rest of India. Do we believe that the way the minorities are being handled in the rest of India uh, would be par for the course for the Kashmiris and they would not take it into the calculus? Do we believe that Kashmiris will will actually go along with the government of India uh, and its statement uh, at Qatar by the representative of India uh, that the statements of the two spokesmen of the ruling party on some negative remarks made upon the holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, are uh, the announcements of fringe elements. How can duly appointed party spokesmen who are briefed by the party cell every day in the afternoon before get they get on to the national media?
0: So what you're saying is that all this would have been noted in Kashmir
1: as well? Exactly. So what will that, what will that do? I want to make two points here. One, it will exacerbate. We don't know what the reaction would be. There has been no reaction so far. I've watched Kashmir 24 by 7 as you do. But may I suggest a propaganda film which had two elements. The film title is Kashmir Fights. It of course depicted very correctly, very honestly, how Kashmiri pundits were clawed out of their millennia long geocultural moorings and mosaic and thrown out to the rest of India. That part of the story is brilliant. I have written on this issue, uh, many occasions since the film was released. But the second part is important. It has been recommended for Uh, virtually compulsory viewing by, by the ruling dispensation of the center including the top leadership of India. Because the second part portrays every Kashmiri Muslim including the mainstream parties which have held the flag of India in their hands for more than seven decades since Kashmir acceded to India. They are termed terrorists and jihadis. How can this wash well with the thinking Kashmiri. This is what you and I have to think of. I think my my reading is, it doesn't matter when the elections take place. It doesn't matter when the statehood uh, is the sport to Jammu and Kashmir. Restore first, imaginatively, creatively, through a political outreach, or myriad other means, the dignity, the self-respect, the identity, And the belief of the average Kashmiri in the idea of India, to which he subscribed, he or she subscribed, heart and soul, on 26th of October, 1947.
0: Kapirji, before I let you go, you are from Kashmir. What is your sort of bond today with the Kashmir Valley? How, How do you you live in Delhi? How, how, how do you see, uh, what do you feel when you, you know, speak as a Kashmiri? You, you mentioned about issues of identity earlier in our conversation.
1: Perit, this is a, this is a googly that you have bowled and uh, I'll have to play a straight bat. First and foremost, you know, there is a huge commonality uh, between uh, the primary elements, ethno, cultural elements in the valley, which is essentially Kashmiri Muslims and Kashmiri Pandits, And this is centuries long. Islam came to Kashmir not through the sword. It came through persuasion. Kashmiris themselves converted to Islam. And then you evolved a kind of a socio-cultural milieu in which both grew together, very happily coexisted tolerated, accommodated and loved each other. Because there was a common thread of Sufism because the Islam that came to Kashmir was Sufi Islam and the Kashmiris uh, of my ethnicity were Shaivites. And there was so much philosophically common between the two. I can, by way of an example, give you that even today, in the mosques in Kashmir, you have first the praise of Allah and the Quran, and it's called the Boudi, the Rude Sharif. And when you hear this, you realize these are Arabic words sung to Vedic hymns. Today, now that is the culture, syncretic culture of Kashmiria. Uh, it's bit of become a bit of a cliche, I must admit. That still that still connects people. That's what I said. I gave you the statistic because to a journalist, nothing matters more than a statistic because we have not been able to answer the question. Why is it that 3000 Kashmiri Pandits who never left Kashmir have lived there from millennia? They never, they never migrated and they are in 100 locations in the valley. 100 locations. They live with their Muslim brethren. There's no threat to them. No terrorist says ever targeted why? Because there is a common, common kind of, a, if I can say, a gene pool in socio-cultural and philosophical terms. What has happened is that 1990, large number of Kashmiri pundits who left, they got an orientation towards the right wing. There was also a certain justification because states which were right, run by right wing parties actually sympathized a they deal with them. In fact, went to the extent of reserving certain seats in the medical, engineering and other colleges and universities for migrants from Kashmir. So there was a sympathy factor and the payback for that was a certain degree of orientation which was more right-wing of the Kashmiri pundits who for millennia have been generally liberal, generally Sufi, believers in Shaivism believers in commonality, common purpose of all religions of one God. And you approach that God through your inner consciousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what I was asking you about your personal, uh, I know you've given us the, since we're running out of time, but what's your sort of personal kind of entry into Kashmir, if I might call it that?
1: Yeah. Well, the personal uh, thing is that uh, I'm still a Kashmiri 24 by 7. My geography is the rest of India. I was in the Air Force and traveled the length and breadth of India, but at heart I remained a Kashmiri. I still have some larger family links in Kashmir, even today. But much more important than the family is my family of the entirety of the Kashmiri Valley. My brethren from the majority community to me are my family, just as I am part of their family. That's the point I wanted, why I gave you that rambling, long-winded history of Kashmir was to tell you that idea survives and inshallah it will survive for future as well, provided the establishment in India looks at the issue in futuristic terms rather than short-term ideological imperatives, which can be extremely damaging as we have seen just the other day internationally in Qatar, we have seen the statements which have emanated at the level of the Secretary of State in the US about remarks on India and what is happening. Now, as a security analyst and one who has been part of think tanks and actually driven to think tanks of India, I believe that if we have to look at India in the future, India has to manage Kashmir more definitely, more sensitively and uh, issues of individuals and families and societies are as relevant. We also need to take into the calculus amit the fact that Kashmiri civil society, which could have played a role, stands destroyed. Because they could have been the bridge between the angry and hatred-filled Kashmiri youth and the larger impulses which the older and more experienced civil society is generally aware of. But that has not happened because Kashmiri civil society has also been destroyed by all the actions that the Indian establishment has taken there. So I'm afraid uh, it, it sort of gives you a negative feeling, but I would be less than truthful to you as a friend from long if I was not to put on the calculus the blunt truth which is Kashmir in 2022. Kapil
0: Kark former Air Vice Marshal of the Indian Air Force. Thank you very much for talking to the Hindu's In Focus podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Amit Shah. it's been a pleasure interacting with you uh, on Kashmir.
0: In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.